for a long time the church has been guilty of. You know, we, we pound and uh, pound the, the table and, and, and thump our chest and say, you know, we're against this and we're against that. We need to be known by our love. Welcome to the Know Why podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. For many of us, it's not enough to know what people say about life's most important questions. We also want to know why. Each week, Know Why tackles tough questions on topics ranging from spirituality to current events. While we approach these issues from a Christian perspective, we discuss diverse opinions and ultimately dive into what the research says. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. Welcome to the Know Why podcast. We are in a series about Jesus, and today we're looking at what Jesus said about love and judgment. Here to talk about that with us are two people that I greatly admire, pastors Leif and Hope Angel, who also happen to be my pastors. Thank y'all so much for being here today. Thank you for having us, Liberty. So I'll read your bio real quick, and then we'll jump into the questions. Um, By the way, Pastor Leif is also an author. I've got his book right here, Um, Enough, A God Who Meets You Where You Are, which is coming out in February. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So very soon you'll be able to get that book. We'll post a link to it on the website. So pastor, author, and speaker Leif Angel has been serving in ministry most of his life. He graduated from Oral Roberts University in 1993 and following God's call, became a full-time pastor in 2014. Leif and his wife, Hope, founded Grace Point Family Church in Dallas, Texas in 2020. They launched just seven weeks before the pandemic shut down, and God used what should have killed the church to expand and grow it. Together, Leif and Hope lead a thriving church that operates a permanent food pantry and sends missionaries around the world. Leif is a board member for Bring the Light Ministries, a homeless outreach in Dallas. Leif and Hope married in 1995 and have three children together. They live in the Dallas area and love to see God's kingdom advanced and to spread God's grace and mercy wherever they go. If you want to learn more, you can check out gracepointfamilychurch.com. And I can attest that it is a wonderful church and I'm very uh, blessed to be a part of it. So thank you guys again for being here. Um, But let's jump into some of these questions. I actually uh, found a study that we'll post on the website as well uh, that was conducted by Barna of teens from around the world, actually 25,000 teens from 26 countries. Um, And it was asking them all kinds of questions about their religious beliefs and what they believed about Jesus. And about half, 49% of today's teens say that Jesus is loving. So that's pretty popular. Uh, you know, opinion about Jesus. So can you tell us some things that Jesus said about love? Well, I think you begin with um, uh, this new command he gives us in uh, John 13, a new command to give that you uh, love one another. Uh, And it really comes back down to this is how the world will know you're my disciples. So we should be characterized uh, by this idea that that, uh, we serve a God who is love. Uh, First John chapter four, seven and eight, verse seven and eight says that, um, um, in the new, in the new living translation, it says, um, let us, um, again, love one another because he who loves is a child of God and knows God. And he who does not love doesn't know God because God is love. Um, it really is. It's this vital understanding that this is part of our characteristic. It should be, um, we were talking about this in church just yesterday, uh, that the early church, it says that they were known or characterized by this devotion they had to um, uh, the, the the teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, to, to meals together, and to prayer. They were known for this. 
And what that would have meant was if you lived in those areas and somebody said, well, what's the deal with those people? Well, you know, what, what characterizes them, what they're known for, and that's supposed to be us in terms of uh, as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, we're supposed to be known by our love. Um, and that's that, that new command he gives us to love one another because um, we're supposed to love as he first loved us. And by, the, by this, by our love, the world will know that we're his disciples. So it ought to be like the flavoring of everything we do, mm. you know? So this is, it's, it's such a big deal. Yeah. So kind of about, love and understanding what love is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if you do a quick Google search, which I did before this episode, just to see what would come up. Um, a lot of what you read about unconditional love is that unconditional love requires unconditional acceptance. Mm-hmm. So did Jesus demonstrate this unconditional acceptance of people? And should we? Um, there's a, a very important distinction that we have to make to answer this question accurately and, and in a way that maybe would give us some framework as we, as we walk out our faith. Um, the answer is yes. Yes, we absolutely need to be accepting, but it does not mean that we endorse every aspect, every issue. Because if you think about uh, in John chapter eight, when the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery was brought to Jesus and the religious leader said she was caught in the act of adultery. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? Mm. And Jesus in mercy and grace didn't say, yep, get the stones, let's go. Instead, he was loving and gracious. So there's a distinction between though um, his love and mercy and um, condoning or endorsing things that don't line up with the word of God. When uh, he had written in the dirt and, and the, the, the Pharisees and leaders that, that dragged this woman in front of Jesus one by one began to walk away and, and until uh, only Jesus and this woman were left, uh, he didn't say, hey, you're good to go. Go back to doing what you do. He said, listen, um, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Like this, there's this clear admonition that um, God was very much in love with her and in mercy and love spared her. And yet there was a clear distinction of uh, uh, we're, we're not supposed to. This is one of the challenges and, and Hope and I were talking about this on the way here. One of the things that, that we're faced with um, in our society is it's an all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not only all or nothing, but we begin to identify people by one characteristic of who they are. But Liberty, you are a mom, you're a wife, you're a daughter, you're a friend, you, you have lots of different, you're a leader in our church. Um, uh, Liberty helps to, to oversee and run our uh, single mom's ministry and uh, does a beautiful job. If we reduce you down to one characteristic, okay, but you're more than that. So somebody who is struggling in any area of sin in their life, uh, the world wants to say, well, does, uh, does Jesus, do Christians endorse a lifestyle that is not aligned with the word of God. No, I don't endorse the lifestyle, but I love the people. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this common thing about, you know, God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. And, and while that's true, um, it, it's also very important that we understand that it is not just a sloppy grace that covers everything and everybody's okay. And no, we're supposed to be growing in our faith. But our job as believers is not to condemn just like Jesus didn't condemn. You know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe on him should not perish but have eternal life. That's great. But you have to continue to verse 17 
Everybody stops at verse 16, but there's more. In verse 17, he goes on to say that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to rescue it. So we need to have a compassion and a heart to reach those who are in any lifestyle, um, whoever God puts in front of us. Now, we can't control whether or not they receive what we're offering, which is grace, love, and mercy, hope, and peace, and, and the fullness of God in our lives we walk this out. We can't control whether or not they receive it, but our job is still to offer it. Mm-hmm. And we can't decide who in advance uh, is worthy or not worthy of, of that offering. It, it, it really goes back to in, in Romans 5 when it says that while we were yet sinners, in the middle, in other words, while we were still busy doing the sin, uh, Jesus came to rescue us and redeem us. So uh, while we were yet sinners, uh, true love is this, that while we were yet sinners, he came and, and paid the ultimate price for us. So we need to love people where they are without trying to endorse where they are. We're just going to love them, be gracious to them, and remember that my job is to present the truth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And I never get to play the role of judge and condemn. Now, I can discern whether or not something is in alignment with God's word. A behavior is in alignment with God's word. But what I know is, regardless of behavior, God loves them. They were created in the image of God, and they might be walking it out right now. But there are times that I still fall and fall short and mess up. Yeah, I like in Galatians 5, Paul is talking and he addresses this. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Yeah. And then he goes on, For the whole law can be summed up with this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I think with our own sins in our life, we have so much grace Mm -hmm. because we know our intentions, we know our heart, but we don't have that same grace for other people. And Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important to love others as ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. Mm. And I loved the, you know, when you talked about um, John 3, 16 and then 17, um, you know, that Jesus was sent not to condemn. And I think a lot of people would want to stop there too, but to rescue. Yes. Because that implies that there is still something that we need to be rescued from. from. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, uh, really good stuff. So talking about condemning, um, you know, there's a common saying, only God can judge me. Or a Bible verse that a lot of people know, judge not lest you be judged. Um, And so... You know, there's this idea, and and we've even been talking about it, like, you know, having grace towards other people. Um, So, but help us understand what it actually means to judge or be judgmental. Um, And going back to that study real quick, the Barna study that I mentioned earlier, 4% of teens say that Jesus is judgmental, but 16% say that Christians are judgmental. So what was Jesus judgmental and I mean, what does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that would come back to the the question of conviction or condemnation. Condemnation is the sentence has been passed. We're beyond deliberation. It's over. Conviction says, okay, listen, um, uh, there's something in my life that is not letting me be at peace because the work of the Holy Spirit is trying to, to alert me that there's some behaviors in my life that that aren't lining up with with God's word. So, did Jesus come to condemn? Absolutely not. It's clear in John three seventeen that he did not come to condemn, but rather to rescue. Um, 
condemnation then is is an important step that you know again the 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 culture around us wants to reduce everybody to a label so how do we feel about this people group mm. well you know god loves the people it's not about reducing somebody to one aspect of who they are and when we have the opportunity to come in contact with somebody who may be living a lifestyle that that we don't agree with or that might you know not line up with the word of god do we condemn no do we stand on our convictions? Yes. And how do we make that distinction? Well, um, we are called absolutely to be loving and gracious. You know, it's Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, where the Apostle Paul is talking about this idea that um, he says, first and foremost, that, that we need to be um, living wisely, thoughtfully, considerately, graciously among unbelievers. Well, what does it mean to be gracious when we're living amongst unbelievers? Uh, and then he goes on to give us some answers because he says, you know, let your communication be attractive in the New Living Translation. In the older translations, it says seasoned with salt. What does it mean that we're seasoned with salt? How do we be gracious and loving and not allow ourselves to be drawn off sides. You know, it's that it's the red uh, red cape in front of a bull. I see that issue, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hone in on that. No, no, mm -hmm. no. We're called to see the whole person the way Jesus sees that person, and Jesus is not caught off sides by okay, that one person is this whole issue. That's all they are. It, it comes back to understanding that you know, um, condemnation gives no hope. Conviction um, is the work of the Holy Spirit, not me. And so my job is to offer the alternative by speaking in love. What does it mean that we're seasoning our communication, that it's seasoned with salt? It means that while I might not begin and end every sentence in a conversation with the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, the work of Jesus on the inside of me, so is so pervasive that every word that comes out of my mouth would exude, would just fill an atmosphere of love and grace and mercy. Season with salt means that there's this, I mean, just like when you put salt in a dish as you're preparing the dish, the whole dish tastes a little different mm -hmm. because you put in the salt. Every word that comes out of our mouth ought to hit a little different because it's seasoned with this, this love and this grace and mercy that I get to live in that ought to then become a part of my communication and that ought to make people, I think it's interesting that he used season with salt because what's the number one thing that salt does? It makes you thirsty. Mm. So is the way I'm communicating, creating a thirst in others for the Jesus in me. That's good. Are we being gracious or are we being condemning? And I think that for a long time, the church has been guilty of, you know, we, we pound and uh, pound the, the table and, and, and thump our chest and say, you know, we're against this and we're against that. We need to be known by our love. It's like, this is what we're supposed to be known for. This is the characteristic that ought to define us as believers is we've been bought and, and, and redeemed by this unbelievable love we've been given from our Heavenly Father through His Son. And that ought to be every aspect, every part of my life ought to be seasoned with that so that when I come across uh, somebody who has either rejected God or, or knows they're living a lifestyle that makes them uncomfortable with me as a Christian because they feel like I'm being judgmental, well, hopefully a couple minutes in my presence, they don't feel judged anymore. So how do we be loving in, in those moments and not judgmental? 
yeah, we're told to be disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. And if you look, there are so many examples, mm-hmm. one after the other in the Bible, where he loves the sinner and he doesn't write out condemn the sin, but through his love, they come to repent and he yes. says, go and sin no more. So it's not that we're saying, oh, just stay in your sin but we're also not in your face condemning them. We love them and we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. I love the fact that when, when Jesus came face to face with the tax collector, he ex- the tax collector expected to be condemned. And instead, Jesus was very loving and gracious. And without any prompting from Jesus, the tax collector began to say, okay, going forward, I'll restore anything that I've overcharged. I'll make it right. I'll, I'll do that. Plus, I'll, I'll put a bonus on top. And he begins to pour out his heart of, I'm going to make it right. But Jesus never told him, fix this, fix that. You need to to make amends to everybody you've ever overcharged in taxes. And tax collectors were, in that season, the worst of the worst because they were Jewish citizens who were collaborating with the occupying army um, and, typically speaking, were doing um, some dishonest uh, practices to to fill their own pockets just a little bit more. And so Jesus comes face-to-face with a tax collector and being— in the, in the presence of Jesus was enough to convict him and cause him to want to live differently, to do differently. Man, that ought to be so our example that, you know, love and grace and mercy so characterizes everything about us that without us having to beat the table or pound our chests, just by being vessels of the goodness of God, people ought to be drawn to him and want to do better and, and, and choose to make different choices because they've been in the presence uh, of the mercy and grace of God. And, and I got to be the vessel that, that made that possible. So this is our joy. This is how we reach the world. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. So you're kind of already talking about, you know, how we can follow that example, but just to kind of focus on the practical side even more, um, again, in that same study, 68% of Christian teens say, I want to find a way to follow Jesus that connects with the broader culture I live in. So for Christian teens or young adults who want to demonstrate Jesus' love in today's culture, um, what's your advice, especially when Christian values aren't always popular right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good Um, because Christian values aren't really popular right now. And it's it's because um, nobody wants to be, um, I, I guess that's not the right word, but governed. Nobody wants to be held accountable and they want to make whatever decisions they want to make in a moment and not ever be held accountable for the decisions they've made. And yet when they've come face to face with um, what has been maybe not always so gracious uh, or graciously handled, um, it can be difficult because now you're wearing a badge that, that's going to, oh, well, you're one of those people. Now, hold on a second. No, uh, I think number one is be sincere, be genuine, and be authentic. If we'll be authentic and not try to put on as a disguise uh, our Christianity, but just be authentically you. Uh, if you're around me, hopefully you're going to come away with the impression of like, that That guy just loves a whole lot. Yes, but it's only because I've been so loved by our Heavenly Father. That guy is merciful and gracious. Yeah, because I've re- received so much mercy and grace. So hopefully uh, the number one um, avenue for somebody to walk at their faith in a counter-Christian culture is to number one, be authentic. If it's not true and authentic, it won't resonate. But if we'll be authentic and, and to be just frankly, uh, 
be carriers of the greatness, uh, of the goodness that we've received and, and let that be what comes across. Not, you know, we, we want to jump on a soapbox without ever having bought into getting to know them. Um, daily witnessing by the way we live out what we say we believe. You know, the early church, it says in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 42, that the early church had the respect and admiration of the communities they lived in because they were living it, not just talking about it. Mm. I think so often um, uh, we don't have the admiration because sometimes uh, Christians are really good at talking about it, but maybe not so good at living it. Mm. So I think the number one thing we can do is be authentic and then make sure you're living it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for our young people today, they definitely need a strong support system. Mm -hmm. They're going to need friends that are going to help them stay on the right path. But I know for our daughter, she's really involved in youth group. She's in high school right now. And she has a lot of friends in the high school that are Christian and they're part of church and they believe like she does. But high schools are big today. Mm -hmm. She's not in classes with those kids or she's not on the same sports teams with them. So she has to know who she is mm -hmm. and it's, she can be loving. She can be friends with everyone and be authentic with them, but she still needs that strong support system to fall back on when things are harder. I think it's also vitally important for our, our, our next generation of leaders to know the word for themselves you're not going to get by on what mom and dad say. I heard in church mm. that if you don't know the word for yourself, and again, in, in 2 Timothy, it says to study, to, to show yourself approved, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does it mean to rightly divide the word of truth? It doesn't say read to show yourself approved. It says study to show yourself approved. That means it's going to take a little more than just I read the words. No, I'm, I'm going to have to dig into them a little deeper. And when we're on topics like love, uh, you know, there's a lot in the Bible about the topic of love, and you're going to find it in First John, you're going to find it in Colossians and Galatians, and you're going to find it in Romans, and you're going to find it all throughout the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels. Well, um, don't just find one little thing and hang your hat on it, but to study means to show uh, yourself approved by connecting, okay, what is, as a topic, the Bible saying about this, this thing of uh, the, the nature of love? So we need to, to resource ourselves so in those moments we have something to stand on beyond well, I heard something in church or my mom said something one time. Uh, how do we lovingly, graciously walk this out? Well, you better really have it in your, in your heart, in your spirit. And that's not going to happen without actually internalizing the word of God. So, I mean, it, it does come back to redirecting our youth to like, don't just hear mom and dad talk about it. What are you reading in the Bible? So one of the things we ask our daughter often is, okay, so what's the last thing you read in the Bible? And what did it mean to you? And she's having to come back and say, well, you know, it's actually been, uh, it was yesterday. Well, Day's not over. We can still, you know, we can still fix that. But, you know, it's not enough that she says, well, I was reading in Psalms. Well, what in Psalms? And what did you take away from it? How are you internalizing what it is that you're reading? And there ought to be some times where they come to you with questions. Like, I, I read something in the Bible. I'm not sure how to take that. Well, okay, well, let's talk about that. Because there are some topics in the Bible that are difficult um, that, that need some guidance as we're walking our children through this. There's some, there's some examples in the Old Testament about, like, wait a minute, why did God respond in anger here or in anger there. It's why did Jesus flip over the, 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 the tables of the money changers in the temple? Well, you know, when you say uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Okay, that's great. But then, you know, flipping over tables is, is, mm -hmm. on, the, is on the table. Mm -hmm. And that, that's one of the things we can say, well, well, Jesus did, so let me go flip some tables. Well, hold on a second. When Jesus expressed anger, 
when Jesus was um, uh, willing to step out in political situations and in counterculture situations and be aggressive in those moments, it wasn't because he was just so offended by the fact that there were tables in the temple or that people, you know, it'd be one thing if um, they were doing uh, a fair trade in a reasonable place or respectful place, an appropriate place, there wouldn't be a problem with that. Okay, what if they're doing an honest business but it's not in an appropriate place. Well, okay, that probably wouldn't have gotten him this fired up. He gets this fired up when he sees his people being hurt. The money changers were cheating the people who were making their pilgrimage to the temple to make their sacrifices and worship God. They're being cheated. Uh, the old system of um, uh, the temple was that people would come in with their sacrifice and they'd be met by a priest at one of these tables and they'd be told whether or not they're offering their lamb, their pigeon, their their dove, um, their goat, whatever it was, whether or not that offering was acceptable in temporal sacrifice. And what had happened is there, there was a system that developed where somebody would walk up and, nope, nope, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable because there's this mark here, that mark there. Well, then they'd take that, that animal and they'd sell you another one and they'd take that animal around back and wash it up real good and then that'd be the one they'd bring out for the next guy. They were cheating God's people. Mm. That's what angered Jesus to the point of going and flipping money changers' uh, tables and, and, and whipping them with. Like, God gets really upset when his people, when people are being taken advantage, and, take, taken advantage of and being hurt. That's what gets Jesus upset. So how do we respond in a, in a culture where we're going into an election year? Yeah. Yikes. Mm-hmm. So in election years, things get very polarized, very divided, um, there's a bifurcation that happens in the sense of, well, I'm on this side. And if you're on the other side, you must be either evil or stupid. And I don't know which one it is yet, but I'm going to figure it out. No, we, we, we live in a world that, especially in this coming election year, everything gets so easily divided. Can, can we operate in love and mercy and grace in a world culture, a world system like this? Yes, we can, but we need to decide in advance. I'm not going to become political, but rather I'll take issue when God's children, when the most vulnerable among us, the weakest among us are being hurt or taken advantage of, that's what ought to draw a response from us. But even then, are we seizing it with the love and mercy and grace of God? Every time you see an outburst of the anger of the Lord, the anger of God in the Bible, you can connect it back to God's people being hurt. Mm. Every place you see the wrath of God at some point there's people being hurt. Why does God call any sin, sin? Not because he's so easily offendable by our behaviors, but rather he's looking at the world around us and saying, okay, this is something that's going to cause wrath or cause anger to rise up in me because the one I created in my image with love and, you know, uh, when that person is being hurt, that's always going to to draw the wrath of God. So are we angered by, are we, let's just say, are we sensitized to caring for the least of these and letting that be our motivation for how we respond in moments where we need to take a stand? I'm not just taking a stand because I think my way is right and your way is wrong. I'm taking a stand because somebody's being Hurt. Somebody's being taken advantage of. This is the. These are the things that are going to get me fired up. Outside of those things, I can still be gracious. Mm-hmm. We might not agree on you know the best policies for climate change, but we can certainly agree 
that, you know, we want to protect the innocent. We want to protect the, the vulnerable. We want to protect the, um, the orphan, the widow, the, the person on the street. That We need to stand up and do what we can in those situations. But I'm not, you know, allowing myself to become political. Jesus was in the middle of a very political culture. He was a Jew in a region that was occupied by the Roman army. And there's the Pharisee or the Sadducee temple law. There was the Roman culture and the Roman law. And you had to navigate and, and they would play off each other, right? Because, you know, when, when the Sadducees came to Jesus and said, okay, this is a coin with, like, you know, should we pay taxes? And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to take the bait. Whose picture's on the coin? Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to allow myself to be drawn into political arguments, but rather what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on grace, mercy, and love. So in this political season, how do we walk out our grace, mercy, and love? Well, we, we take issue with the right things. And we show lots of grace in everything else. Be sure to tune in next week to part two of our interview with pastors Leif and Hope Angel.